Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak, and I work as the Deputy Head of Foreign Desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. Does Hungary's Prime Minister Viktor Orban want to take over the European Council? Charles Michel, the current President of the European Council, wants to run in June's EU elections, so there is a possibility that Orban can replace him as Hungary starts its presidency of the Council of the EU on July 1st. So what could be Orban's plan and how to deal with his regime? I talked to Daniel Hegedish. He's a German Marshall Fund senior fellow focused on Central Europe and he extensively covers populism and democratic backsliding in Central and Eastern Europe. Listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Daniel, as the president of European Council, Charles Michel wants to run in the EU parliament elections in June, there is a possibility that Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban might chair the European Council, as Hungary will preside over the Council of the EU from July 1st. Do you think Orban wants to replace Michel or not, and why? Honestly, Obviously, very few people have insider information about the real motivation of Prime Minister Orban, but I don't think that this position would be or could be reasonably ambitioned by him for a couple of reasons. First, obviously, this is an opportunity created by largely accident. It was not planned, and it's very, very risky for the Hungarian head of government. Honestly, I can't see what he could, Prime Minister Orban could really win from this situation. He's already very much in the limelight in the European stage. His role, his influence on EU politics is highly controversial and openly discussed. Also, whether his influence shouldn't be constrained with the more extreme ways, like, for example, suspending the voting rights of the Hungarian government in the council. And I think substituting the head of the European Council by the prime minister of the country giving the rotating presidency would just increase this situation. And even though it will give extra visibility for Prime Minister Orban, it would be, in my eyes, I don't know whether this analysis is shared by the Hungarian Chancery, it would be a clear overstretch and overextension, which could significantly threaten bitter backlash it would definitely trigger a backlash from the side of the European Parliament. I think nearly irrespectively what will be the European Parliament direction results, even if there will be a stronger ECR or ID, it's barely possible that there will be a real radical right breakthrough. But but having Orban at the top of the EUPO will really frustrate and provoke reactions from the center of European politics. So it would be a dangerous situation for him. And honestly, I think Prime Minister Orban could be really comfortable with a scenario that the European Council elects a new president in advance with a two-third majority, potentially 
in the worst case scenario, even just for an interim period as a substitute to Michel and Orban not entering uh, that very challenging period of time. What you just said, I think it's very logical and it's very rational. And I would expect Orban behaving like this. But if he would choose that he wants to push himself into this position, what kind of signal it would give to you and also to the EU that if he would try this, basically the signal would be, I have no constraints. I want to be even more radical than until now. So would you read this like this if he would try to push himself into this position? No, I would have a rather different reading. And it is that Orban ending up in this position constitutes a policy failure at strategic level by the European Council. And either the lack of responsibility or the lack of ability to act in a responsible way by the majority of the European head of states and governments. This will be the global reading that European head of states and governments were unable to protect the optics of the European Council presidency and are unaware of the impressions made to international partners and the global community that they are just giving up this highly symbolic position to those governments in the European Union, which potentially represent the joint values which bound together European member states, the least, if at all. So I think the optic would be, yes, the EU is unable to manage its domestic affairs because otherwise such a strategic policy failure just simply could not happen. I 100% agree. Because even if Orban tries, he could be stabbed relatively easily. So if other member states will be not able to do it, or not willing to do it, they will look totally, totally weak. But let's talk about the related issue. It's still almost six months, but is there anything that might be already said about the Hungarian EU presidency? What kind of priorities might Hungary pursue? And also it must be said that Hungary is taking over the EU in an interesting period after the European Parliament elections, and of course we will need to have a new commission. And So what kind of priorities might Hungary pursue? It's a matter of fact that very little is known about the priorities and the work plan in detail. But last autumn, the Hungarian government at least announced the main priorities, which are partially derived from the joint priorities of the Spanish-Belgian-Hungarian Council Presidency trio. And according to that, the priorities are rather neutral. On the other hand, we also see how practically the Hungarian government also tried to, tries to instrumentalize some of these priorities to promote its own illiberal political agenda to adding certain unusual accents uh, to it. Definitely the key priority is the strengthening of European competition, which is obviously absolutely understandable and the joint main priority of the presidency trio. Fighting illegal migration, addressing the issue of demographic challenge, especially through family support policies, is also potentially one of the most ideological priority among the priorities of the Hungarian presidency. It's also strengthening European defense policy. And last but not least, again, not without certain specificities 
the last priority is strengthening European cohesion policy, which obviously for the Hungarian government means promoting equal access and potentially unconditioned access to in cohesion fund spendings, which is particularly important in the light of the suspended EU funds to Hungary since the end of last year. What we see in this list is that there are some very ideological points like demographic challenge and pro-family policies, fighting illegal migration or using the cohesion policy topic to get access to suspended funds. But otherwise, these priorities largely are not set alone by Hungary, but are part of the priorities of the presidency trio. And against that background, they are largely representing also the mainstream priorities of the European Union as they were understood also by the Spanish and the Belgian governments. One further sentence to add, and obviously supporting the enlargement policy and especially the enlargement on the Western Balkan is also in Hungarian priorities. Why, of course, it won't be up to the Hungary to decide it, Orban will be there, sitting at the table, when after the European Parliament elections, the establishment of the new European Commission will be discussed. What are his priorities regarding this? And of course, his position might be strengthened if more populist and radical parties will enter the European Parliament after elections. Do you think that Orban wants something out of this? Yes, I think we'll be especially against the background that this period is about the restructuring of the institutional setting and, and practically putting together the new European Commission. And the period is not focusing on legislative work, which will make the Hungarian positions particularly interesting and important. It can be interesting how the country can exploit or potentially even abuse its role to influence the composition of the commission. It would be mainly possible if Orban could also chair the European Council, what we already discussed, that theoretical opportunity, but most likely it won't happen. But we should not forget that uh, that the Hungarian government will its support from the renewal of Ursula von der Leyen's position. Orban does not have clear preferences and obviously without knowing potential candidates officially proposed by the European Council, he can't have anything or anyone, but there will be definitely attempts to increase Hungarian influence by meddling into the selection process in one way or other. Aside of this, it will be very interesting to see what can be the main priorities, for example, for the Hungarian government regarding the potential commission position. We know that former Justice Minister Vítor Varga can be the main candidate against the background that she's potentially a woman. It's more difficult to be rejected in the selection procedure. But regarding the portfolio, I think the European Union member states will barely repeat the failure to give the enlargement portfolio to Hungary. The change in the potential candidate person, the person of Judith Varga also, signalizes that Orban is potentially not aiming at the enlargement, but much more something related to EU funds, potentially. In this regard, I think it's difficult to give any predictions at that stage, but it will be interesting to see, especially in light of the very level flexibility of the Hungarian government, how they really will try to play their cards to get the most out of the situation. Daniel, let's talk about something that is more recent. It is also related to the Russian war against Ukraine. 
looks like the dead in Hungary will lift its veto over 50 billion financial aid for Ukraine. There will be an extraordinary EU summit on February 1st, and Orban blocked the package in December. I don't have a crystal ball, but I think the starting position of the Hungarian government is pointing in the direction of a potential compromise. They are entering the negotiation room practically with two demons. One is instead of having a five years financial package, deciding on the financial support to Ukraine on an annual basis, practically multiplying the opportunities when the Hungarian government in the future will be have a blocking opportunity and an opportunity to extract further political concessions from EU partners in the future, or extending practically the lifespan of the European recovery funds, what we know that are still suspended for Hungary, just a minor pre-financing recovered for the country. And if all the money is not spent until the end of 2026, it will be lost forever for the Hungarian government. And obviously they would like to avoid that situation that they lose access to 10 million only. The sheer fact that there are two demands signalize that if one is fulfilled, Orban can walk away like a winner and can easily give up the blocking position. In that regard, I'm optimistic that ultimately there will be a compromise. Potentially, if we consider that even in case of an extension, the European Recovery Fund would remain fully blocked through the sheer fact that the Hungarian government is not fulfilling the anti-corruption milestones, I think from a, both from a strategic perspective and considering the domestic impact in Hungary, the better deal for EU head of states and governments would be to extend European Recovery Fund lifespan, especially because I can imagine that not only the Hungarian government could benefit from that move, and it would be also much less controversial than practically giving the annual blocking opportunity for Orban on the Ukrainian aid portfolio. In theory, if Orban says, give us all the frozen money and I will support everything you need regarding Ukraine, should the EU and the member states take this deal or not? Or why? I think it's not even a hypothetical scenario for the very simple reason. It's not up to the European head of states and governments to decide about it. The funds are suspended, at least with regard to the European Recovery Fund only by the European Commission. And as long as the European Commission is not recommending the freezing of that funding, it's not the decision of the European head of states and, and governments. And even in the case uh, of the conditionality regulation, which blocks 6.3 billion, the whole procedure is still dependent from the Commission. Regarding the in additional 2. Point something billion, which is still blocked by the horizontal enabling criteria, it's absolutely and exclusively a European Commission competence. And the European Commission is an independent European institution. Potentially, this is one of the most crucial characteristics of the Commission, that it cannot take advice or definitely cannot be instructed by the European Council. This independence was already violated once in the past by the optic of the December 2020 deal, when after the Polish-Hungarian blockade of the multi-annual financial framework, in accordance with the deal accepted by the European or at the European Council, practically the European Commission 
suspended the implementation of the conditionality regulation for a year until the European Court of Justice decided about the legality of the instrument. Even in that time, that was a highly controversial issue which clearly violated the standing and the reputation of the European Commission. Repeating that in favor of Prime Minister Orban and his autocratic project would be practically the moral suicide of the European Commission. Any European Commission president which would take that deal, I am certain, would be impeached by the European Parliament. So, obviously, it can be at the first sight a potentially threatening or potentially attractive deal, depending on the political angle. But fortunately, the separation of power and the independence of institutions is already given that level in the European Union, which makes such a deal nearly impossible. And I hope that (laughs) it won't be proven by politics and life that I am naive and potentially too optimistic. Hopefully not. And thank you for this explanation. Of course, as you said, commission is an independent body and I think it it really would be a moral suicide, political suicide even. But uh, then what to do with Viktor Orban and as you call it, his autocratic project? 120 MEPs demand that Hungary should be stripped of its voting rights. While I do not believe this initiative has legs, is it at least a symbolic step? It's a symbolic step. And I fully agree with you that it definitely won't have any further political and legal consequences. The European Parliament cannot trigger Article 7, Paragraph 2, which ultimately leads to the suspension of the voting rights. It can only be triggered by the European Commission or one third of the member states. Notwithstanding this, I think, yes, this could be the stable and long-term solution to the challenge posed by the Hungarian regime. But what we see is actually that uh, European institutions, but especially head of states and governments represented in the European Council, are constantly leveraging and balancing the short-term and the long-term cost of how to engage with Hungary. And their blueprint is practically always to decrease the long-term cost in exchange for perpetuating this crisis and constantly increasing the future cost, including the cost of even the next similar crisis. But still, I think the widespread understanding in the European Council is that they have a muddling through policy and they always try to find a compromise with Orban because simply that solution that fellow governments, fellow member states suspend the voting rights for perceivably sovereign EU member states is simply too much to swallow and digest for most of the national elites, and not necessarily because they are sympathizing with any of the illiberal details of this project, but simply because they have an understanding that ultimately it infringes on the sovereignty of EU member states, and they definitely would like to avoid to create any such situation which can be used as as a precedence in the future for suspension of or violation of the sovereignty of member states in the EU. But would you like to see the voting over Hungary's voting rights? How would it go? I have been constantly arguing since 2013 that the voting rights of the Hungarian government must be suspended. So for me, it's an advocacy issue. And in my understanding, it should have happened a decade ago. That's a very clear position. I think it's not a question whether we would like to see that voting and how it will look like at the end of the day. 
The question is really whether there are stakeholders in the European Union who are investing political capital in creating majorities behind Article 7. And obviously, everyone is frightened by the consensus requirement in Article 7, Paragraph 2. But first, member states should put to vote Article 7, Paragraph 1, that there is at least a danger of a clear threat to the EU values in Hungary. That would require four-fifths majority. It would be nothing else like naming and shaming, but it could symbolize that there is move in this area in the European Union, that an overwhelming majority of member states is committed to play hardball, and it could, and I think would, influence the calculations of the Hungarian government how far they are ready to go. Until we are not seeing this, it's largely theoretical to contemplate the chances of Article 7, Paragraph 2, but it's also not needed because I say, first, we have to construct coalitions which are committed to protect EU values even within the European Council and work towards Article 7, Paragraph 1. Yes, I think this is a very good point. Maybe some member states shouldn't dream about the new co-options. Maybe they should try the option that might be available. But Daniel, one last thing. It seems Orban has the experience and skills to play a role in European politics. But does he have any allies in the EU these days? Perhaps Slovakia? During his visit to Budapest, Slovak Prime Minister Robert Fico said that the European Commission wants to punish Orban for his views and for his sovereign policies, as Fico calls it. Define the real ally. I think that alliances are never unconditional. Even the Polish-Hungarian tandem hasn't been unconditional, not even before the full-scale invasion of Ukraine, but after that, it was reduced badly to a mutual defense pact against the EU institutions. I think it's clearly visible that in spite of some mutual understanding, good interpersonal chemistry and similar policy positions, especially vis-a-vis intervention in domestic affairs, how these gentlemen call it, and potentially in Ukraine, the Slovak-Hungarian alliance is not unconditional either. Slovakia supported the 50 billion financial package to Ukraine, and even though the military aid was suspended by the FICO government, with one of the first political decisions, if I am correct, that the country is still delivering, as far as I know, military equipment to Ukraine on a market basis. And this is fundamentally different from the Hungarian position. And I also don't think that we should just reduce the circle of potential allies of Prime Minister Orban to Robert Fixo. Definitely, Italy and Georgia Meloni is one of the closest allies, even though the differences in foreign policy are also always underlined in many regards, especially when it comes to domestic illiberal moves and sovereignty-based approach. I even cannot imagine that the Meloni government would vote out of conviction for the suspension of the voting rights of the Hungarian government. And we should not forget that, especially in light of the December electoral code, proposed electoral code reform in Italy, domestic autocratization accelerates in that country. Most likely, if a government participation of Catwilders 
cannot be excluded in the Netherlands, that the Dutch government can be also, in certain cases, a pragmatic ally for Orban. So unfortunately, this circle of potential allies is and especially will be much broader than just reducing it to a Central Europe problem. One of the really big challenges for the European Union is that autocratization is not anymore only a Central European phenomenon. And uh, as long as it was, I think also at the European level, the readiness to mainstream it, mainstream cooperation with the radical right was much more limited. But especially in light of the presence of illiberal forces in Italy and upcoming further Western European uh, elections, I fear that the general reply from the part of the European mainstream elites would be accommodation. And obviously, it will have also far-reaching repercussions for illiberal actors and also state of democracy in Central and Eastern Europe. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Thank you.